Good morning. Good morning, good morning. I'm going to try to move a little quicker today. And some of you are like, how much quicker can you move? Is it going to be like a five-minute devotional or something? Maybe. Uh, no, but the, the elders do have something to present after the sermon, so we're going to move a little quicker today. So that being said, John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is where we have been for the past few weeks. And essentially, we're taking the uh, Jesus meeting the woman at Samaria, uh, Samaria, and we're taking it and we're dividing it into three separate sermons because there seems to be uh, three different focuses in this passage here. So in John chapter 4, the first part we saw was Jesus, he was wearying as he came from Jerusalem up to Samaria. Again, that would have been a big no, right? He's going up to Samaria to converse with somebody who he's not supposed to be conversing with. Right, and so he meets this Samaritan woman at the well, and he does something unthinkable, and he asks her for a drink. Right, he probably needs a drink because the text says that he was uh, wearying, he was spent, he's tired. Right, So he probably needs a drink, but he uses this opportunity to talk to her about what she really needs. So that being said, John chapter 4, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 4, verses 16 through 26 today. Now... Imagine this, right? After all that Jesus has been talking to her about, right, and she doesn't quite get it, imagine if Jesus just said, you know what, I- I'm done. You know, I tried to explain to you uh, the Spirit being that living water. I tried to explain to you that, but you don't get it. I'm done. Imagine if Jesus did that. But of course he doesn't do that. Jesus is patient, and he says to her in John chapter 4, verse 16, Go call your husband and come here. Now, Jesus here, to me, he's kind of being sneaky, right? Because the thing is, Jesus knows. He knows her past, and he knows who she's been with and who she's no longer with. He knows her past, and so I don't think that he actually wants her to go bring her, her husband. Um, she replies in verse 17, I have no husband. I have no husband. Jesus says to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. Now imagine if she just decided to say to him, you know what, I'm going to leave now. Uh, You're making me a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, You're kind of getting to some things that it's kind of messy. My past is kind of messy. I don't think you want to know my past and even present. Jesus, if you knew my past and if you knew my present struggles, you would want nothing to do with me. Imagine if she said that and she left. But she doesn't. Instead, she's honest. She tells Jesus, I I have no husband. See, here's the thing, church. Jesus doesn't want you to dress yourself up. Some people have this idea that we have to dress ourselves up in order to come to Jesus. Quite literally dress ourselves up. That's kind of been something that's been emphasized in churches, right? Dressing ourselves up, wearing a nice suit to come to church because we, quote-unquote, have to. So there's been a literal sense in which people think we have to dress ourselves up, but then there's a other sense. Jesus doesn't want you to dress yourself up when you come to him. Jesus wants you to be honest. Because when you're honest, 
When you're honest to Jesus about your past and even your present struggles, Jesus can do amazing things in your life. Unfortunately, we far too often are dishonest. Uh, We try to hide our past. And Jesus, knowing our situation, says this in verse 18. He says, you're right, you have no husband. Verse 18, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Maybe you try to hide your past. Maybe you try to hide your present struggles because of fear. Maybe you're afraid of rejection. Maybe you're afraid that people are going to shame you. And maybe that's true. Maybe you have been shamed. Maybe you have been rejected because we all know that that has happened in the church. We all know that in basically all churches across the country have had people walk through their doors, sinners, just to be rejected and shamed. And then never to return to church again. Thing is, Jesus knows. Jesus knows your past. He knows your present. And he still has something to offer you. Some people feel like they have to be fixed uh, before coming to Jesus. And I heard this illustration recently. I'm going to steal it. It's a good illustration. Here's a question for you. Do you clean yourself up before you get into a shower? No, that makes no sense, right? You, you get into the shower so that you're, you can be made clean. In the same way, we don't clean ourselves up in order to come to Jesus. We come to Jesus so that He can cleanse us. We, we don't have to be fixed before coming to Jesus. Jesus is the one who does the fixing. Uh, What I'm about to say is not the main point of the sermon, but there is some significance here in these few verses. Uh, When she tells Jesus, I have no husband, and then Jesus says, you're right in saying you have no husband. Do you see the significance in that? She has had five husbands who she is no longer with, and Jesus says, you are right in saying you have no husband. Jesus doesn't look at her and say, no, 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 you've committed an unforgivable sin. You are stuck in your sin. He does not say that. He says you're right in saying you have no husband. Now, this is not a sermon on divorce. We will preach a sermon on divorce in John chapter 18. But one thing needs to be made clear. So, much of, so many churches in our church tradition specifically have treated divorce as some unforgivable sin. But Jesus himself, he does not treat it like that. He affirms her in saying, yeah, you're right, you have no husband. Again, not a sermon on divorce. In fact, we're going to cover this more fully later on in John chapter 18. Okay, so don't take what I just say now and think that's how I view divorce, all right? Don't make any assumptions. We're going to get there eventually. For now, we'll leave it at that. Jesus knows her. He knows that she has been married to five men. And he has something to offer her. He has that living water we saw last week to offer her. She responds in verses 19 and 20. 
She says, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She realizes he's at least a prophet. And she's basically saying, you know, since you're a prophet, I have some things I want to clear up. And notice what her question centers on. The physical. Where's the right place to worship, Jesus? Is it on this mountain or is it in Jerusalem? Haven't we all done that before? Which church do you go to? Uh, what, what, kind of, what name does it have on its front sign? Are you a member of the church? Now, I know most of you in here know what is meant by that question. People focus on the physical. I've been guilty of this. Thinking that just by going to a church with a certain name on it, I'm, I'm good. I'm saved because I'm going to the right church. Jesus is not concerned about that kind of physical thing, issue. Jesus responds in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem where you worship the Father. It does not matter about the location of a building. And not to mention that word there for worship has more to do with uh, living in a posture of sacrifice to God than it does with just meeting at a church building. Meeting at a church building and fellowshipping with our fellow brothers and sisters, yes, that's part of worship, but it's part. That's not all there is to worship. Most of your worship occurs outside of these doors as you live sacrificially as Jesus changes you. Jesus then says something interesting in verse 22. Verse 22 says, you worship, he says to her, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Now, remember the context. Um, What books did the Samaritans accept as authoritative? The first five, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Nothing else. What do they miss out on? The prophets. The books that foretell of Jesus' coming and Jesus' suffering and dying for his people. They miss out on that. They miss out on the fact that salvation comes from Jesus, the Messiah that is to come. And another thing to ask is, well, what is Jesus? He's a Jew. So yes, salvation is quite literally from or of the Jews. Continue on in verse 23. Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is teaching such people to worship Him. That's the key verse. Right? Highlight, underline that, circle that. That's the key verse. Let's start with this. What does it mean to worship Him in spirit? Context. I emphasized this word a few weeks ago. Context. What has been said up to this point? What has been the main focus of the Gospel of John up to this point, being born again. Which is to say, being born of the Spirit to receive that living water that wells up to eternal life. So worshiping God in Spirit means to be indwelled by the Spirit. 
I mean, what is worship to God if you're not indwelled by the Spirit? Can you really worship God if you're not indwelled by the Spirit? The text doesn't say otherwise. It's not about the physical. It's about being indwelled by the Spirit. What does it mean to worship God in truth? Context. John chapter 3, verses 32 and 33 It says, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. By receiving Jesus' testimony, we attest to the fact that God is true. Well, what is Jesus' testimony? Context, John 3, verses 16 through 21. Those verses sum it up pretty nicely. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. Whatever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in or by God. So if you receive Jesus' testimony as the Son of God, as Savior, and as Lord, we attest to the fact that God is true. What's the result of receiving that testimony? Context, John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become or to be born children of God. To become, to be born children of God, that is synonymous with being born of the Spirit. Worshiping in truth is receiving Christ's testimony. If you do not receive his testimony as the Son of God, as Lord, and as Savior, you do not worship in truth. And by product, you don't receive the Spirit. If you do not acknowledge him, if you do not receive his testimony, we do not worship in truth. Verse 24, chapter 4. God is Spirit, And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The physical is not of most importance. Right? The verse did not say God is physical, therefore we have to put on a big show with lights, with cameras, with flair. You know, recently I saw a video. There was some church. They literally had drummers suspended in the air uh, going up and down from the ceiling. It just blew my mind. It's like, wow. How physical. What a spectacle. And I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. I'm not, I am not saying that, okay, there's one specific way we have to worship God in order to be right. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is there is a tendency for people to emphasize the physical when we worship God, thinking that uh, if we worship God in the right physical way, then we're good. That's not what he wants. 
He's seeking true worshipers who will worship him in spirit to have the spirit dwelling inside of them and who worship him in truth who receive that testimony. The woman responds to him in verse 25. She says, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Uh, Sometimes when you read the text, you're like, come on, did you not just hear him? You not just hear him, he told you miraculously who you were, what you had done, who you've been with. But does Jesus say, you know what, I'm done. I'm tired. Uh, You just don't get it. He doesn't say that. Jesus is patient. Thank the Lord he's been so patient with us. I I look back on my my teenage years. How long it took me to grasp some things about Scripture. And I'm not saying that I get it all, all of it. I'm not saying that I fully understand what Jesus has to say to me. I'm not saying I fully understand what's in here. That's not what I'm saying. But to get what matters. The life that he offers. It took me so long. I thank the Lord that he didn't just give up on me after a year of me not getting it. I was baptized, but then even after that, after the year, I, I still didn't quite get it. Thank goodness he's patient. He says this, and this is about as clear as it gets in verse 25. He says to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus does not give up on her. I want you to think about people you've talked with in your life. Uh, maybe talked with about Christ, and it might be frustrating at some t- sometimes when uh, they don't just seem to get it. They don't want it. I get that, because I've been there. I've been on the other side, not, not really getting it, not really wanting it. I could imagine people were probably frustrated with me as they tried to tell me about Jesus. we got to be patient. As Jesus is patient with every single one of us, offering us this living water, offering us the Spirit to change us, to sanctify us. He hasn't given up on us. So let me ask you, will you be a true worshiper? Will you allow the Spirit to enter your life and to enact miraculous change? Will you accept the testimony of the Son of God as Savior, as Lord, as Messiah? Will you worship Him in spirit and in truth? We'll see how the woman responds next week, but for now you can respond as we stand and sing.